welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co-host, L. Grover Fricks, to resume our discussions in Exodus chapter 9. That's right. We have a whole nother chapter of plagues up ahead of us. Yep. Three plagues, 35 verses. All right. Here we go. Scroll of Shemot, chapter 9. This is the word of the Lord. Yahweh said to Moshe, come to Pero. You will speak to him. This is like what Yahweh says, God of those who cross over, send out my people. They will serve me. For if you refuse to send them out, and still you bind them with strength, look here, the hand of Yahweh, she will be in your purchased things that are in the field and in the horses and in the donkeys and in the camels and in the cattle and in the flock. A very heavy word. Yahweh will distinguish between the purchased things of Yisrael and the purchased things of Mitzrayim. From all the sons of Yisrael, none will die. Devar. Yahweh placed an appointed time, saying, Tomorrow Yahweh will do this word in the land. Yahweh did this word the next day. All the purchased things of Mitzrayim died. The purchased things of the sons of Yisrael, not one died. Pero sent out. Look here. Not one of the purchased things of Yisrael was dead. The heart of Pero heavied. He did not send out the people. Yahweh said to Moshe and Aharon, Take for yourselves, fill your fists with puffs of the trampling lime kiln. Moshe will sprinkle it toward the fire water in the eyes of Pero. It will become wrestling dust upon all the land of Mitzrayim. It will be upon humanity and upon the silent ones for a boil bursting forth, pustules in all the land of Mitzrayim. They took the puffs of trampling lime kiln. They stood before Pero. Moshe sprinkled it toward the fire water. It became a boil of pustules bursting forth in humanity and in the silent ones. The ones who held the book and stylus were not able to stand in the presence of Moshe from the presence of the boil. For there was a boil in all the ones who held the book and stylus and in all Mitzrayim. Yahweh strengthened the heart of Pero. He did not shem'ah them as Yahweh had spoken to Moshe. Yahweh said to Moshe, Cause yourself to rise early in the morning. Station yourself in the presence of Pero. Say to him, This is what Yahweh, God of those who cross over, said. Send out my people. They will serve me. For in this moment I am sending all my plagues to your heart and in your servants and on your people, that crossing over you will know. For there is none like me in all the land. For if now I sent out my hand and struck you and your people in a word, you would be disowned from the land. However, in crossing over this, I have made you stand in crossing over. I will make you see my power, in order that my name will be recounted in all the earth. Still, you mound yourself up in a heap in my people that you will not send them out. Look here, I will cause it to rain at about this appointed time tomorrow. Very heavy, cold hail, as has not been like him in Mitzrayim since the day her foundations were laid. Now, send out, make strong your purchased things, and all that is yours in the field, every human and the silent one which is found in the field, not gathered to the house, the cold hail shall descend upon them, they will die. Those who feared the word of Yahweh from the servants of Pero, he made himself flee, his servants and his purchased things to the houses. He that did not place the word of Yahweh upon his heart, he abandoned his servants and his purchased thing in the field. Yahweh said to Moshe, stretch out your hand over the fire water. Oh, that there would be a cold hail in all the land of Mitzrayim, upon the human and upon the silent one and upon every glistening green thing of the field in the land of Mitzrayim. 
Moshe stretched out his branch upon the fire water. Yahweh gave voices and cold hail. Fire walked to the ground. There was cold hail and fire taking itself in the midst of the cold hail. Very heavy that none was like him in all the land of Mitzrayim from when she became a nation. The cold hail struck in all the land of Mitzrayim, all that was in the field from human until silent one and every glistening green thing of the field. The cold hail struck and every wood of the field broke. Only the nearby land where there were sons of Yisrael was there no cold hail. Pero sent out, he called to Moshe and Aharon. He said to them, this moment I have missed the mark. Yahweh is the just one. I and my people are violent. Intercede with incense to Yahweh. There have been a great many voices of Elohim and cold hail. Oh, I would send you out and no longer shall you stand. Moshe said to him, as I exit the city, I will spread out my palm to Yahweh. The voices will abate and the cold hail will be no more in order that you will know the earth is for Yahweh. You and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear before the face of Yahweh Elohim. The disintegrating flax and the shivering barley, she was struck for the barley was tender and the flax a bud. The wheat and the shorn grain were not struck for they are late. From with Pero, Moshe left the city. He spread out his palms to Yahweh. The voices abated, and the cold hail and the rain was not poured out on the land. Pero saw, for the rain ceased, and the cold hail and the voices. Again he missed the mark. He heavied his heart, he and his servants. The heart of Pero strengthened. He did not send out the sons of Israel as Yahweh had spoken by the hand of Moshe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ooh, boy, there's some stuff in here, huh? Yeah, uh, I'm excited. I've got two portions. It was 35 chapters. There wasn't really a clean way to break this with the three plagues, and I didn't want to make a bunch of mini sections, so I made two sections. First one is verses 1 through 19. The second one is 20 through 35. So that is how I divided them. Hopefully that helps those who are listening. So let's go ahead and get into part one of chapter nine. So be it. Uh, it starts off with, you know, kind of the same language that we've seen in the previous few chapters of him coming to Pero again, uh-huh. or, or rather God talking to Moshe, telling him to go to Pero again. Um, and the first thing that I wanted to look at in this first section is actually in verse two you have for if you refuse to send them out and still you bind them with strength yeah look here the hand of yahweh i was curious about the word strength that's still the one that i've been using chapter after chapter and trying to like mash together the word bind and the word strength okay to one it's the chazak word and every single time it says that the heart of Pero was strengthened or that he strengthened his heart or whatever. It's always that word. <laughs> I'm yeah. just trying to grapple with the English there of how to put those two together. Because again, in Hebrew, there's a bunch of different words for strength that have different connotations. And specifically, as I've said before, chazak is the word that means to uh, able to bind. So how do you say that? And still you are abling to binding, but it's in the causative form there. So you are causing to be able to binding in them. 
<laughs> yeah. That doesn't work. Um, so I end up just using a phrase rather than a single word there. Um, and I, you know, I'm not sold on that being the perfect choice, but I'm okay. Yeah. Working on it. Yeah. Uh, and that's again, the same that it's been as a motif throughout. So God is accurately stating what Pero has been doing. Um, and it has been Pero the whole time. Um, and I think the first time we'll see God do anything is in this chapter. Well, I think that's interesting because this word that is used apparently here as well as when we're talking about Pero binding or strengthening his heart, right? Uh-huh. Uh, is not how they typically seem to translate the word in this verse, in verse two. Uh, they won't use that same language as Pharaoh hardening his heart mm, okay. that you would normally see. What we see here, rather, is KGV says, wilt hold them still. Uh, mm-hmm. NIV says, continue to hold them back. And ESV says, to still hold them. So um, the still is coming from this word, od. Okay. Um, which I have there as, and still you bind them with strength, right? So it's not hold them still as in hold them from moving. It's hold them still as in you hold them mm-hmm. continuing. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's just archaic, so right. it's hard to tell. But even using, the, you know, you will hold them, right, when it's the same word as Pero hardened his heart, but they don't translate it, he held his heart. Right. You know, they, they translate it differently. Um, and so surprising that we see that same word being used for both the way that he's treating his own heart and the way that he's he's acting against the nation of Israel. Yeah, it is a smidge different. Um, to <laughs> here I am defending um, translations, um, probably because I'm struggling so hardcore with this word, but it isn't he feel and the other times it's not. So that's the causative form. And anytime we get a different form of a word, we do have a little bit of license to tweak it a little bit, even if I like to stay truer to its root. And then secondly, it's in participle form which means uh, you can do something a little bit different, but it should be like you are binding them. You're in the act of binding them. Petrifying them. Um, with strength. Um, or it's really you are strengthening them. You know, it's but that obviously feels positive in English. Right. You're, str- you're strengthening <laughs> your, your effect on their inability to leave. Right. But it also has this in preposition. So... Binding something in them, right? Keeping them from leaving. So it's complex. Uh, hopefully I will. Facebook status updated. It's complicated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hebrew. It's complicated. <laughs> What's going on, Israel? It's complicated. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, you could put that through most eras of Israel. Okay. Right. Um, one thing leaving that uh, happily behind me. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's coming back. It'll only come back like eight times per chapter uh, is... I think it's fun that uh, the hand of God is feminine, first off, because it's pretty subversive to the way that we kind of imagine the deep, booming voice, you know, reading this and being menacing the hand of God. You know, nobody ever thinks of it as a feminine hand. Uh, And then also, I think it's fun because the Ruach, the spirit of God, is also feminine. So I think there's possibility that there's a connection there. Yeah, super cool. Uh, I love that. Um, and then 
he does all this, and it's called a very heavy word oh, in yeah. verse three. Oh yeah. Okay. So our word, haha, um, for word is devar. Right. It is always the word devar. If the word, when it's in noun form, it means a word, and when it's in verb form, it means to speak. This is the case, like eight hundred times in the text. Now, in this particular spot, instead of having our happy little A vowels, our Masoretic friends, um, who once again are much, 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 much centuries and centuries and centuries later. They're living their best life. In Anno Domini, for whom I'm thankful, um, have added an E vowel. So now it's Dever. So... (laughs) Because of this, and because it's weird, which, I mean, there's some functionalism to this, so, okay, fine. Um, They've decided that it makes sense that this is something different from a word or speaking other than the other 800 times that it's listed that way, right? Okay. Um, And so they've just decided that it's pestilence, which, I mean, if you're trying to read from context clues to figure out what this is... And you look, and it's like, okay, a whole bunch of stuff dies when God does this thing. Um, Yeah, I mean, what else is a thing that kills a bunch of cattle, um, you know, and animals? Uh, That isn't the same word for plague, I guess, right? (laughs) Because plague, normally we think of being for living um, for animals and pestilence, I usually think of as being for plants as well. But here we don't see plants. We only see animals. So that's funny. But they've gone with that because it's weird um, in the English and because the Masoretes have tipped us off with a different violation than usual. Um, but I think that that's going backwards, right? I want to start with what does the word actually say? Yeah. Um, leave it that way and then see how that influences our interpretation rather than letting our interpretation guide our translation. So, um, so yeah, it says that a word did, he did a word. Um, I think this makes sense in the context of who God is and how God, um, works in the world, right? In the creation narrative, the way that he brings the whole world into being is with words. And so to me, it makes sense that he can also use words to extinguish life. Um, So that doesn't seem weird to me. Um, The only part that is weird, which everybody else just like translated out, I went and checked because it was odd, uh, but is when it says Yahweh will distinguish between the purchased things of Israel and the purchased things of Mitzrayim from all the sons of Israel. None will die. Devar. And I left it as Devar instead of translating it because I don't know what it's doing there. It's grammatically in the t- total wrong spot. He's just saying like... Word. He, right. And if I translated it to word, it would sound like a bad millennial joke, right? From all the sons of Israel, none will die. Word. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. So I was trapped in a millennial humor corner. um, And maybe if I didn't have my personality, if people were listening, they would be like, oh, that's weird, huh? But because I make jokes all the time. Yeah, I I think it is valid to leave it in there. Uh, I like what you did with that because it is thought provoking and it it should be because it's weird. It is weird. Um, Yeah, it is weird. The... uh, uh, 
I mean, yeah, the, the translations do kind of what you talked about. Uh, KJV, interestingly, says uh, there shall be a very grievous moraine. What? M-U-R-R-A-I-N. And I didn't know what that meant. I had to look it up. Uh, and it's just a, it's just an old English term for hmm. infectious diseases. Right. Cattle and Not sheep. with that specific verse where there's just a devar chilling in the middle of nowhere. Right. But it comes from the Latin mori to die. Okay. So I think that, you know, they're kind of looking at that word uh, uh, probably through that KJV lens. Right. A different word for plague. Right. Uh, they went to the thesaurus and scrolled for a while. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, it's just, it's just lazy translating. I, it, it seems like, you know, I don't know definitively, but I mean, maybe there is a big value. difference way back in, uh, good old England. And they were like, oh, this is definitely a moraine, but I don't know what that word is. So I can't, can't say. But mystery of mysteries. Okay. Um, I like that God makes appointments. Um, that pleases my organizational heart, right? He doesn't just do stuff when he feels like it. It says a couple of times throughout this passage, Yahweh placed an appointed time saying tomorrow Yahweh will do this word in the land. Yeah. I think that's interesting because of the last time uh, God let Pero choose the time. Right. As this kind of power play. Right. And now he's moved a step beyond that. Uh, right. Here's when it's going to be. But he is still, I mean, he's calling his shot and everything, but he's still going with tomorrow. So there could be potentially a slightly mystical teaching point in there that, like, God will check in with you. And if you give that particular time frame, that's the one he's going to use. Maybe uh, you're from a community that hates that kind of interpretation, but that's okay. It's been around for a long time. Like in the Alexandrian school of uh interpretation but okay so tomorrow yahweh will do this word in the land yahweh did this word the next day um all of the purchase thing died that's confusing because in the next plague they all get boils but uh you know yeah there's a there's a dialogue in the with the rabbis about this of how does that happen if it says they all died and yet they don't right because they're taking that very seriously and so their kind of explanation for that is because certain types of livestock would be things that they would have the shepherds look after because they're not you know they're not from an egyptian uh perspective clean okay uh and so they would not be in Mitzrayim, they would be with the Israelites, who are the shepherds. Oh, okay. And so, so it's those animals that are not the Israelites' animals, but it's the Egyptians' animals that they're making the Israelites look after because they don't want to do it. Uh-huh. And it's those animals that later get the other plagues. I mean, it checks out in terms of that uh, when Yaakov and Fam first move in, that's the job that they're given. Yeah. So uh, that checks out for me. Um, one thing that I love in this little pericope is that it says Pero sent out. Look here. Uh, the syntax of that is just fantastic to me. Syntax means word order if you're not um, familiar. So it says Pero sent out. And that's the verb that God has been demanding that Pero do this whole time for his yeah, people. Yeah. And then you stick a behold on there and it's like, oh man, he's doing it. Everything died and Pero's doing it. He's doing 
He's doing the right thing. Pero sent out, look here. Not one of the purchased things of Yisrael was dead. Right. So he's concerned about his stuff. He's checking on the stuff. Uh, and then that great, you know, line building suspense from an Egyptian worldview. Right. His heart is getting heavier. It's harder and harder for him to achieve the afterlife that he wants. And then just to wrap up that this is correct uh, and our understanding is correct. It says he does not send the people. So it also makes it a little mini chiasm with um, the purchase things in the middle or dead in the middle if you want to get really specific. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's get really specific. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I think you're, yeah, good points. Um, I, I find this next section interesting from a, a midrashic perspective because okay. in verse 8, God... To- tells Moshe and Aharon to take for yourselves, fill your fists with puffs of the trampling lime kiln, uh, and Moshe will sprinkle it toward the fire water in the eyes of Pharaoh. So mm-hmm. uh, what's interesting about that that the, the rabbis point out is that both of them take fists, plural, so both hands full of dust, uh-huh. and then uh, Moshe singularly sprinkles it. Yes, and I so also thought that was weird too. And so what they say is that in this instance, Moses's hand is so massive that he can hold all four handfuls of this uh, kiln dust. Wow! Okay. <laughs> in order to in order to throw it uh, towards the heavens. You know the the scroll begins with super long bendy arms uh-huh. for Paro's daughter, and now we've got super. Super large hand. So we're staying in on theme. Right. Uh, okay. But a couple of things about this. So first off, I went with fire water for heavens. Um, I think that's what I did way, way back in Genesis It is. One. I was going to point that out. We haven't seen this in a long time. That's right. And so if you're really confused about why there's whiskey in this chapter, there isn't. It's just the word for heavens. If you're jumping in and you weren't there in the very beginning, the word shemaim is an elision of esh for fire and maim for water. So it's yeah. very literally fire water, which makes sense if you think about um, Egyptian mythology and Semitic th- mythology, but also, uh, you know, sunrises and sunsets. And well, we're going to th- see fire later. I know. We're going to see fire and water because hail is just frozen water. That's right. Oh, I like it. Um, and then I did like a significant research on lime kilns. So I'm going to need to share some of that. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, the general conversations were very basic, like, this is the ashes that you would get from your fire pit. And it was, like, not, like, distinguishing anything at all. It's just it's just burnt ashes, right, is how they described it. So lime kiln is interesting. Yes. Uh, and Why here, are they lime kilns? Yeah. Uh, let's, let's look at it. So the puffs specifically, um, it, this is a hepax. It was Cheeto dust. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeto puffs. So I went with puffs of the trampling lime kiln. So breaking down one thing in part, the puffs is a hepax legomenon, which George, Ooh. you remember, that means a... A word that's only used once. Yeah. So 
Um, it seems like it's related to a different word that has to do with air puffing, um, but it's hard to really say because, again, it only shows up the one time. So this is just the word that is used when you go to the eye doctor and they do the test where they blow air in your eyeball. <laughs> this is that word for puff. As someone with incredible eyesight, like yes. an elf. I've never no... had this done before. I've never had to go to the <laughs> likely eye story. Doctor. Yeah. Okay, um, so fists with puffs of trampling lime kiln. The reason that I looked up uh, the lime kiln in the first place, and then I reamed lovely facts from that experience, but was because this relation the word trampling in there and I was trying to figure out oh that must be part of like the lime making process I have no idea what the Egyptian I have no idea what modern lime making involves much less ancient Um, and so I looked into it expecting to find something to do with trampling Um, but I didn't find it which is fun because it's the word from Genesis 128, it's used for oppression, and I've had this running theme of each plague pulling back to what's been done to the Israelites, right? Yeah. And so I was expecting to find that somehow as part of the lime-making process that there was some trampling involved. Um, because, you know, the words for animals, for instance, uh, are related to the function that they do, except for the word silent one, which gives them dignity and a couple other things. But so that's what I was looking for when I started doing this research. However, that's not the case. And I kind of like it more because if it's not connected to, um, what physically happens, then it is more of an esoteric, um, uh, etymology, um, and so why would lime kilns themselves be oppressive? Apparently, they're super toxic um, at this era to be next to, first off, because you get burns, you know? Okay. Because uh-huh. uh, <laughs> it's a kiln, and it's a very, very hot, and you've got to do stuff in it. Um, and so burns were common. But also, the smoke coming out of the top of the kiln um, was usually an enclosed space, and it was also toxic. And so people working in here were dying. Um, And so it's an oppressive lime kiln um, that's trampling the people. The reason I use trample rather than oppress is because it's back from Genesis 128. We've got a couple Genesis 1 things happening here. Um, And it is an oppressive thing. And um, lime goes in the mortar that they're being made to create. Yeah. Uh, And so it's... (laughs) It's not like Moshe and Aaron are just sent off on a random scavenger hunt and like, find the different things from around the empire. It's go to where the Israelites are being forced into slave labor, mm. where they spend all day and take the evidence of their hard work, right? Yeah. And carry it, walk like it that. all the way back, this toxic stuff that is killing them, right. and then blow it in the face, right? It says, in the eyes of Pedro. Uh, it says Moshe will sprinkle it toward the fire water in the eyes of Pedro. And usually we, you know, think of that as in the sight of, which it's still possible. It could be that he's just, you know, polluting the general airspace, or it could be more literal, you know, that he's chucking it in the air toward Pedro. Um, either way, I think it's much more powerful um, and grounded. And again, I find that helpful because usually when I am doing my own reading, you know, every year of this portion of Torah, I'm like, blah, 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 we got to the plagues, page turn, page turn, page turn, page turn, because um, it's just, you know, 
a whole bunch of plagues in a row that don't have any specific meaning. Um, and sure. so I found that all helpful and fascinating. Um, he then says it'll become wrestling dust upon all the face um, of Mitzrayim. A pinch of wrestling dust. Yes. <laughs> Again, I am not necessarily totally sold on my own phrasing there, but it's the dust that happens when you're wrestling. Okay, yeah, it gets kicked up. Right, uh, and that makes sense because of this back and forth that is happening. Um, and so that's where that's coming from. And I think it's crucial and important that God is including the animals, not just because they're possessions um, and, and finances, but because they're always part of what's going on. Right, yeah. the cows have to repent in the book of Jonah, and here they're also part of the plagues and they are affected by our violence and so we should probably take that seriously yeah um yeah i i like all of that i think that's a super compelling argument um for that um yeah so looking forward he i mean we have this next section which is just them doing that right right uh, and then in verse 11, the ones who held the book in the stylus were not able to stand in the presence of Moshe for the presence of the boil. Singular. Uh, yeah, just the single boil, just one a massive one shared massive between them. Pustule. Yeah, they kind of turned into a glob around <laughs> the singular boil. A little less fun than a giant raven and a giant froggy, yeah. but. I mean, but it says, for there was a boil in all the ones who held the book of the stylus and in all Mitzrayim. But. It's interesting that it points them out specifically, um, you know, because it says that it's a, it's in everyone, right? Everybody in Mitzrayim has it, but specifically the ones who held the book in the stylus, they got it. Yes, they got they got a, a boil. Well, all of them. it could be about that. It also could be because we're used to in this structural setup that at this point these guys with their magical fire show up and do the thing and so it's sticking it in there expect so that we'll expect them to do that and then saying but they couldn't so they had one boil each right but it's still interesting that we've already seen them not be able to perform one of these miracles and something that i think compelling is compelling that the uh rabbis point out uh specifically here the rambam is talking. Uh, the Rambam says that it's an important thing to note because in verse 12, we see Yahweh strengthening the heart of Pharaoh. Uh-huh. And what he says is that the reason God steps in here is because beforehand, it's the ones who held the book and the stylus that were then going and hardening Pharaoh's heart. Mm-hmm. And now they're not able to stand in the presence of Moshe. They're not able to be uh, before Pero. Um And so we see that shift here where God comes and hardens Pero's heart in this specific instance. Strengthens it. Uh, yeah, I'd also like to pull a little parallel again to something we've talked about before about Pero meaning the great house. And so potentially being about the whole household of Pero yeah. and his whole palace and the, you know, shorthand for the empire um, rather than the specific guy, which to me reads very differently. God strengthening 
somebody like an individual's heart versus God strengthening like the, the vibe, the uh, talk around the palace, you know, um, sure. I can see very easily group think happening about like the ones who held the book and the stylus. Oh, well, you know, they totally would have done it. They just had a giant boil. So, you know, that right. was why it's not that they couldn't, you know, I can see that kind of thing happening and God intervening there. Um, not saying that absolutely solves a theological conundrum for everybody, but I think it's significant or at least notable. Um, so yeah, it says he doesn't shim on them as God had called the shot on. Yeah. And then God tells Moshe to rise early in the morning and station yourself in the presence of Pero, which we all know what Pero's doing at this time in the morning. Already. <laughs> Don't need now. to mention it. We already know what's happening here. <laughs> um, and to tell him to send out his people. For in this moment, I am sending all my plagues to your heart. Yes. And in your servants. So tell me about that and it's not something that we don't necessarily see in other translations though i will point out that both the niv and esv leave that out um but i think it's interesting why your heart yeah uh i mean it's just what what it says it's not me getting poetic or anything it says lev you know like levacha and shema and um yeah so it's just what's there and what i make of that is um, you know, it's poetic, but it's literal, you know, he's not just doing all of this. He's not exacting revenge on the cows, right? He's doing things that will plague Pero's heart specifically. He's striking at the spots in which, um, Pero's ego, um, Pero's insecurity is going to kick in. And I think that's why it says that. All right. You were listening. I was. I was just um, transitioning. Okay. Okay. And the next section, we've got a whole bunch of crossing over multiple times. That crossing over, you all know that there's none like me in the land. And then a minute later, however, in crossing over this, I've made you stand. In crossing over, which is a really big thing in Hebrew literature if we haven't picked up on this before we have repeated elements continually in the text um, and repeated words and sometimes they're in different forms so that they make more sense in the Hebrew but it's a repeated image over and over and over and over um, because again I think God and Moshe are drawing on this image in order to try to get um, Pero to see like this is the identity of the people they're not supposed to be here they're people who cross over and so he's saying it again and again and again but because it's in different forms uh, often it is translated away and you lose the impact of what the Hebrew literature is saying so I'm uh, pleased to have that back yeah so one of the other things that I think that you did that's interesting in this section these this group of verses in verse 15 you said you would be disowned from the land mm -hmm. and that's normally the cut off from the earth or wiped off the face of the earth uh kind of language but that's different than just being disowned from the land yeah absolutely so we've talked before about how the word for cut off is the word carrot um and this is not that word and so 
you know, I am team, let's not go higgledy piggledy, let's be consistent. Gotcha. Uh, and specifically, this word does mean disowned. Um, it can also be translated denied, but it's supposed to be with an undercurrent of disownment, not just like saying no to somebody, but I'm denying you your inheritance type thing. Um, and I think that this is pulling potentially the strings on the Yaakov, Yosef, um, Pero dad triangle problem um, from before, right? Okay. Um, and then the way that Semitic cultures thought about the land, right, is not necessarily in the same uh, through lines that our culture brings to the table um, as newcomers to at least our area here. Um, you know, land is attached to family and it's attached to history. And that's why it's such a big deal that Avram has to leave his and go to a different place and wander around in circles, right? He's, he's family-less. God is his new patron. God is his new family. He doesn't have land. Uh, and so that button is getting pushed here with, um, with God and Pero. He's pulling on that imagery, I think. Yeah, uh, I like that. And it's also kind of, you know, this uh, Egypt, Egypt is such a centralizing area, uh, centralization of power connected to the land that is there, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Egypt is what it is because of the location. Right. Um, and so to take those people and... Uh, Check them into the Sahara. Yeah, remove them from the land. That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, it kind of turns them into people who cross over, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, and then we have this in verse 17. Still you mound yourself in a heap uh, in my people that you will not send them out. And that mound yourself in a heap is an interesting phrase because it's not quite the same as like KGV says exaltist. You exalt yourself, right? So ESV, mm -hmm. uh, more clearly, exalting yourself. So um, it's a, a much more specific image of mounding yourself in a heap. Yeah. Do you remember that video from um, like 2014 of the spider in the sand, mounding the sand on top of himself yeah, with yeah, a great yeah. voiceover? Yes, I do. Yes. That's uh, that's what I have in mind. That's here. hilarious. But that's... <laughs> Uh, that's not why I translated that way. That's just what it says. Um, yeah. but that's the kind of idea to me, all these pictures of what Pero is doing. He's binding himself. He's strengthening himself. He's heavying himself, getting more and more stuck in the ground. And now he's also like marshalling himself into a little heap. Dig, 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 dig. Yes. Yep. That's exactly what he's doing. I'm going back to lines. Um, he says, however, in crossing over this, I've made you stand and crossing over, I will make you see my power. Um, that's the word koach, which is our usual word for power. Um, most okay. of the time, I know there's two different words in the Greek for power. And, um, so that's interesting. But anyway, here, this is, uh, you know, a pretty mystically abstract word that might not stand out to us, um, as being that way because we have lots of abstract words in English, but, um, super entertainingly, it shows up in one part of Leviticus where we're listing all of the unclean animals that we're not allowed to eat. And uh, because of that, 
And only because of that, because it would be weird if it's like you can't eat scaly things, you can't eat power, right? Um, Mm. It seems like it's also the word for a lizard. I have no idea what lizard power would be. Um, I don't know. When I think of lizards, that's not the first thing that comes to my mind. So I don't know if I'm missing something cultural there. I don't know what's going on. I don't know, you know what's happening in Leviticus 11 because I haven't studied it. But um, one idea, because I started looking at Egyptian stuff, right, if I don't know it in Hebrew, start doing some Egypt research, is Sobek is their lizard god. Okay. Um, and I don't want to pull and play that card every time. But um, but he is, and he's the symbol of pharaonic, as in pharaoh, power and virility. And so possible here that God is saying, I will make you see my Pharaoh power, right? My mm. same kind of power okay. that you're claiming to wield all the time. Okay. So language that they would recognize. Potentially. What he's talking about very clearly. Right. If people are right that that's lizards, you're not allowed to eat. It would be way cooler if in Leviticus 11, God was like, paro, you can't power. eat dragons or something. But oh. I don't know. I haven't studied it. It's sure. probably something like scaly with legs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. In order that my name will be recounted in all the earth. And then we have the still you mound yourself up in a heap and my people that you will not send them out. Look here. I will cause it to rain at about this appointed time tomorrow. I also like that. He's not like on the dot. It's still about this time. Don't make me do something. I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. Around 2 PM. Yeah. Rashi says that what this means, because it is kind of vague. Yeah. Like it doesn't say what time. It just says that God says at about this appointed time, but uh-huh. not, it, right, it doesn't clarify that uh, what happens here is Moses goes and makes a scratch mark on the wall okay, uh, to act as like a sundial saying when gotcha. the shadow reaches this line at uh-huh. about this time, that's when it's going to stop. I love that. Which is super interesting. Uh, I, I think that's fascinating. Uh, a, a super interesting concept of... of uh, not even going to list the time. It's going to be based on this scratch that I make on the wall. Right. And when it gets here, that's when it's going to stop. Yes. Uh, I think that's super fun. And it also makes sense since they don't all have like iPhones to pull out and be like, oh, look, it's 159. Right. Um, it's also very cinematic. Okay. Um, totally makes sense. Thanks, George. Thanks, Rashi. Um, about this appointed time tomorrow, very heavy cold hail, as has not been like him in Mitzrayim, so we have more personalization. Yeah, um, that's weird in the English. NIV says the worst hailstorm. It was like so bad, it's you guys. It's gonna be the worst. Uh, <laughs> uh, since the day her foundation, so again, more gendered personalization there. Um, just adding to this dualism that's happening in the text. Since the day her foundations were laid. Um, and then send out, so he's using that picture like, okay, you won't send out my people, but at least send out your people to protect your animals and everything that's in the field um, because they're going to die a second time, a third time now, second time, um, from this hail, which that's some pretty big hail coming yeah. from our fire water. <laughs> um yeah. And I think it's cool that there were Egyptians who feared the word of the Lord from the servants of Pero, right? 
that seems significant, you know, when we're painting with a huge broad brush, all the bad guys and imagining like, ha ah, yay, yes, they're all Right, that it's die. everyone, it's all, all Egypt. Right, everybody in that camp is evil. Apparently not. Some of them fear God uh, and decide to do something else. Yeah. Um, the Rambam, by the way, says that that language in verse 18, as had not been like him in Mitzrayim, referring to the hail. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, the way that that is... Uh, ordered suggests that uh, the very heavy cold hail as has not been like him as in any type of cold hail ever but not just in Mitzrayim but globally wow. uh, is going to happen in Mitzrayim right so imagine the Facebook posts that would happen in our era that you guys won't even believe <laughs> Everybody would be building from their porch. No, it would be one of those. You'd see those There's crazy. There's my fist next to it. Those crazy uh, tornado videos where the person should be in their bunker, oh but they're gosh. not. Ugh, those are so stressful. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. Okay. So yeah, you think like, oh, it's just gonna be hail. Cool. 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 But then there is extra layers. There was cold hail and fire, and then this weird phrase taking itself in the midst of the cold hail. Mm -hmm. um, I did my best to be as literal as possible there. I have no idea what it means. The only other time it shows up in this form, it's a normal verb for to take, as in like Adam took Eve, um, which is our usual word for an unhappy marriage. Um, yeah, I so kind of took that as describing like it's 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 catching fire. Okay. In the midst of the hail. People right? so, the, the only other place it shows up is in Ezekiel and it's talking about the angels and they uh describe it there as enfolding upon itself. Hmm. So I don't know, but it's the word take and it's reflexive. Maybe it's trying to describe like this self sustaining fire. Maybe. Or like lightning shattering in on itself. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Some of the translations did go with lightning, uh, which I think is just kind of them trying to come up with something logical right, that for would what's be happening. Right. Uh, I don't know that that is necessary to do here, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an <laughs> Giant interesting frog, phrase nonetheless. Giant frog, logical. We can't have fire, though. It's got to be lightning. Yeah. Um, so very heavy. None again like it before in the whole land. Yeah. Um, from when she became a nation, that word nation um, is unusual there. Um, normally we only see it later in the text. The cold hail struck in all the land of Mitzrayim, all that was in the field from the human until silent ones, and every glistening green thing in the field, the cold hail struck, and every wood of the field broke. Um, and then we get, wait, did I miss the the voices? Yep. Verse 23, Moshe stretched out his branch upon the fire water. So we see him for the first time in this chapter actually using his staff. Right. Um, Standing in his authority. Yeah. And then Yahweh gave voices and cold hail. Fire walked to the ground. Oh, man. How did I miss? Which is quite the personification. The, the cool... The it's, cool passage. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, yeah. So. I like ESV. It's kind of similar. It says fire ran down to the earth. Oh, yeah. I like that, too. I just had to be consistent because it's just the word for walk. As sure. In, walk of Ram. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, and the word for run is ratz, so it's different than halach. But I still like what they're doing, even if it's not, you know. Doesn't have full fidelity. Uh, but yeah, so the word for voice is kol. 
Um, and this is just the plural of col, colot. So I'm I picturing can... the the duel of the fates end of episode one, where uh, Star Wars. Uh, yeah, Star Wars, where Qui Gon Jinn and Darth Maul and Obi Wan Kenobi are fighting. That's the voices in the, in the <laughs> it's hail. Just the cinematic. Yeah, <laughs> they're not saying anything. They're just doing a really epic choral piece. Yep. Uh, okay. Well, let's try to see if Darth Maul shows up then. Um, but and then later it says voices of the Elohim. So if it's thunder, do tell translations who duck the fact that it says voices. I mean, I get like what's like a voice. Thunder is like a voice. I get that. But what are you saying? Thunder of the Elohim. That doesn't make sense. Voices of the Elohim. Voices of the spiritual beings makes a bit more sense. Mm. Um, I don't know what they're saying. I don't know, you know, if they're saying anything specific. Um, there's a lot of jokes that could be made about how the Egyptians were, might have been going along doing their thing and then voices start. I mean, that's pretty scary. Bum, bum, ba, da, dum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would also be scary. Um, yeah, so super, super epic. Um, but then apparently when Pedro uh, makes a note and he's like repenting, basically, because he says, this moment I have missed the mark, which right. is another Final. Genesis uh, callback, by the way, the word moment. Yeah. That word moment is pa'am, uh, and it's an onomatopoeia for the sound of a horse's hoof beat hitting the ground. Pa'am, 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 pa'am. Yeah, <laughs> incredible fully work. I know, I can't. <laughs> so sorry, that. everybody. Uh, <laughs> or a hammerhead. You know what horse sounds like. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> and, uh, or a hammer hitting an anvil. So, and the this particular moment, I this heartbeat, I have sinned. I have missed the mark. Uh, and it says that um, he does that. He changes his mind before the voices has even stopped. I know I'm skipping a bunch of things and we can go back. But it says, Pedro saw for the rain ceased and the cold tail and the voices. Again, he missed the mark. So if they had all ceased, that would be plural. It would say for the rain and the cold tail and the voices, they all ceased. But it doesn't. It says the rain ceased, singular. And it's like the cold tail and the voices are in, still going on. And he's like, ah, close enough. And he already turns back from what he says but let's look at this little mini repentance situation so he says that he sinned that he missed the mark um, and he says that Yahweh is the just one which is a fascinating insight into his um, psychology right yeah that who is being just and in his mind apparently God is being unjust by taking his slaves away from him, which is not that always the posture of the entitled privileged party right, of like right. you My hard earned <laughs> thing. <laughs> you want justice and equity? That is so inconvenient for me. How dare you? This is so unfair. Um, and so we see that same uh, pattern happened 2,000 years ago. Um, My cabbages. <laughs> Avatar, Last Airbender is the reference there. If somebody's keeping a tally or a spreadsheet somewhere. Um, Yahweh is the just one. I and my people are violent. That's some good uh, self-awareness. You know, it's not just like, okay, God's, God's right, I guess. I'll let them go. He personally takes it on. Oh, I... 
it, he shares some of the accountability. I and my people are violent. Um, and he asks for intercession again. Um, and he doesn't say take away the great many voices of the Elohim and cold hail. He just comments, there have been a great many voices of Elohim and cold hail. Uh, yeah, which is funny. Um, and then he says, oh, I would send you out and no longer shall you stand. Maybe he puts that part in about the hail because Moshe's been hiding out in Goshen with everybody. Um, but that stand um, comment totally takes me back to Levon. Last time we had, I'll stand with you. Stand by mm. me. That was okay. all Yaakov and Levon. Um, so no longer shall you be allied with me, basically. And Moshe says, great, as I exit the city, which does send a pointer that he's going back to Goshen, probably because he doesn't want to get smacked in the temple by some fat hail. Yeah, um, I mean, Rambam says that it's because he... He can't talk to God in the city because of all the idolatry. Oh, classic. So he's like, I do it here, but I classic. don't worship. Classic. Gotta duck that of Vodazara. Yeah. Oh, man. I love it. Okay. Uh, as I exit the city, I'll spread out my palm, singular to Yahweh. The voice is will abate. The cold hail will be no more in order that you know the earth is for Yahweh. I love that he leaves out the fire, by the way. It's like, we'll see about the fire. Mm, yeah, we'll <laughs> let it burn out on its own. Yeah, I guess. Uh, fascinating. Again, I love to see uh, how this looks. My favorite part of heaven I'm looking forward to is the cinematic reimagining, um, except for hopefully without <laughs> death. So I don't know it's how that'll all work done out. via AI. <laughs> We could we could give it AI a spin. Who needs heaven? George says. You heard it here. George wow, Briggs. That is not I don't need what heaven. Just artificial <laughs> intelligence. Okay. <laughs> For the barley was tender and the flax was a bud. Okay, yeah, right before that, you and your servants, I know you do not yet fear before the face of Yahweh Elohim. We've had this fearing God thing happen for like the first time in the whole text in this oh, chapter. Yeah, interesting point. Which I find really helpful for when we run into it way later in the text, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I think that's probably supposed to be a straight callback to the Pharaoh story. You know, like... That would make sense if this is where you hear it first. Right. It's the first mention. So being like, look, you want to know where to start? Even if you were running an empire and oppressing people, guess what? You too can find wisdom. Um, but the first step is starting where Pharaoh did, fearing God. Okay, so you do not yet fear before the face of Yahweh Elohim. Uh, here's a fun little Hebrew tidbit. Um, and if you're my student, you already know about this. Uh, before we get to that, I just like would like to point out the, the specific context of that, fearing God then, is when you are an oppressor. Right. Yeah. And I feel like that gets used pretty liberally around you should just be constantly living in fear of God. Right. Coming to smite you, dirty sinner. Right. What is the beginning? Um, the beginning in the fear of the Lord, you know, implies apparently we use that for all fear. sorts of whenever we want to. <laughs> whenever we use it whenever we want to. Sure. Sure. No, I totally get what you're saying. Um yeah, so another way to say what you're saying that's a little bit more incendiary, but also a little bit more fun. Oh, is, boy. <laughs> is that Ta -ta. if you are uh, telling people 
or you're claiming that you need the fear of the Lord. It sounds like what you're saying, George Frick's along with that. We don't need heaven. We just need AI is that uh, people who need the fear of the Lord are active oppressors. That's what I'm hearing you say. Um, but continuing on to my fun Hebrew language fact. Uh, so we get two nouns next to each other in Hebrew. What do we call that? All my students say in Double unison noun. across the United States. They say smichut form. Nouns. Now. Yep. If you get two nouns next to each other. Smichut form. We don't have the word of in Hebrew. And so we have this specific form, um, which sometimes is intangible and sometimes is very tangible. Um, that tells you you're supposed to put an of in the middle. This okay. is one of those intangible spots. Um, so we've been having this conversation on and off about Elohim being spiritual beings, right? And I so I change it from gods to spiritual beings. Mm. Um, so because this is potentially in smichut form, um, you can say Yahweh of Elohim, right? Um, which okay. would totally fit the theology of what we've been saying, that right. there are many spiritual beings, and sometimes God is referred to as the central spiritual being. Right. But uh, you didn't do that. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you chickening out? Is that I, what I'm Yes, my, my courage faltered. Uh, yeah. But my my theory about <laughs> the why... The courage of men failed. <laughs> yes, they did this day. Aragorn has disappointed me. Um, that's, yeah, okay. Um <laughs> But I think it's been ignored because, again, Doc Hypo, the documentary hypothesis, messes with people. And people like to say whenever it says Yahweh, that's one author. And whenever mm. it says Elohim, it's another author. And, and here so we have them together. We have them next to each other. That must just be an interpolation. Somebody went in and copy pasted um, for How continuity. Convenient. How Yeah, which is the thing. You can do hickledy pickledy when you just start. Well, it is a curious you know, in that they will say there's different authors, but they don't mess with each other. They just layer themselves in. Yes. It's but except for when they don't, and that's when you've had an insertion. <laughs> yes, it's all, I mean, I sat through two semesters of let's go through, actually the book of Exodus was one of them. Let's go through and like Thomas Jefferson saw this thing apart and just like the whimsy with which, we were all deciding, like, no, 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 J ends here, and E clearly starts here, and this okay. is totally P. It was, like, very liberal, very, yeah, whimsical. Right. And you like, could have a different opinion tomorrow. Yeah, and I mean, that's why source criticism, which is the other word for the documentary hypothesis, basically, source criticism created so many papers and helped mm. so many people get doctorate degrees because you can write endless papers about it because there's no actual evidence and there's no actual manuscripts that uh -oh. have those pieces on them. And so, yeah, without any data, you can say, I think the whole thing was actually written by King David himself. <laughs> If you are Why listening not? to this and this is how you got your doctorate, we are not <laughs> trying to take your doctorate away. If hard somebody earned, is listening to this. Hard earned credentials. Who has their doctorate in source criticism. I am. Fight me. I, no. Well, okay. email me and give me a chance to repent, I guess. Um, and also, cool. Happy to have you. I'm uh, humbled because I don't have my doctorate. But also, source criticism is silly. Okay. So. Oh, boy. All right. You, you thought what I had to say would be inflammatory. 
For the barley was tender and the flax a bud. Yeah, very poetic. It is. Uh, the wheat and the shorn grain were not struck, for they are late. So some agricultural notes in here. Um, from with Pero, Moshe left the city. He spread out his palms, plural to Yahweh. I know. The voices abated, and the cold hail and the rain was not poured out on the land. Uh, Rashi says that this means that it did not reach the earth, as in it was suspended in the air. I'm here for it. <laughs> which I think is fantastic. I will take that interpretation. Yeah, put that in the magic jorts. Yep. It's on a favorites list. Exactly. And that's how Pero saw for the rain ceased in the cold hail and the voices. And then again, he missed the mark. He heavy his heart, he and his servants. One note on that shorn grain up there. Everybody wants to argue about whether that's rye or whether it's spelt or uh, whether it's it a wild grain. grain. Not the kind of grain. No, it has this word for shaved. So we usually see the word shorn or shaved okay. when people are mourning in the prophets, right? Um, and so I was like, well, is there one that like looks shorn or that you have to shave for it to be edible? Um, and obviously, I'm not an agricultural expert. I was just curious. Uh, and they all looked exactly the same to me. So if somebody else knows, they're it's probably corn. Ancient grain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's corn, people. Corn Jordan on the cob. Dropping some <clears throat> incorrect facts for uh, engagement potential. Okay. Um, and that's and how then corn the was brought to America. Almost done. The heart of the Pero of Pero, the heart of Pero strengthened. He did not send out the sons of Israel as Yahweh had spoken by the hand of Moshe. Uh, so that was another episode. I'll just let you know, fair listener, that uh, George has so much editing to do this particular evening. It's a mess. It's a lot. But we made it through together. <laughs> we did. We did. We did. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you have questions other than uh, in regard to our fading intellectual capabilities, you can send those to textinus at gmail.com. This has been the Text in Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you will join us again next week for Exodus chapter 10.